Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Chopping It Up. I'm your host, Mike Halen, the Senior Restaurant and Food Service Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Today, we're joined by Charlie Morrison, CEO of Salad & Go. Thanks for doing this, Charlie. My pleasure. Great to be here. All right. So I'm sure many in the audience are unaware that you moonlight as a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> so when are we going to see the bottom in corn and soybean prices, man? Oh, well, I, actually, right now, they're they're lower uh, than they were uh, in the fourth quarter. So that's good. I actually, believe it or not, I have, uh, I don't remember how many bushels of beans in the grain elevator waiting to sell. And my wife is like, hey, when are you going to sell those beans? You got to get that done. So <laughs> uh, it's real. Yeah, I am. I, uh, I got a place in Kansas. That's my home. And uh, we, uh, we farm and uh, also have some cattle out there. And it's, it's a, it's a fun thing to do to get away to decompress but it also gets you much closer to the root of what it is we do in restaurants which is uh you know uh making fresh food available for people uh all over the place so yeah it's fun yeah it's very cool um you're also in the process of establishing your farm as regenerative so what are the some of the requirements that you have to adhere to to do that yeah, it's a process. And to be very candid with you, I'm still learning. Um, it, when I got to Salad and Go, I got a lot more, a lot closer, I guess, to, you know, where the food is ultimately coming from. And I think, you know, consumers want that uh, as well. And so smarter for me to make sure I'm getting closer to it. And then when I have my own farm, I'm starting to learn about what's happening with <clears throat> tilling and spraying and everything that goes on in uh in farming today and it's challenging it's having a negative effect on our environment um, it's impacting soil erosion and desertification of soils and we need to figure out a way to fix that because fixing that ultimately has a connection to our carbon footprint and being able to take carbon out of the atmosphere and put it back into the ground where it belongs so the concept of regenerative farming uh, in a simplistic way my simplistic way i'm no scientist is the idea of letting the land be the land and um, keeping keeping your uh, you know your 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 grasses and um, uh, your crops you know in a point where you're always having something growing right there's always something in the base there's mulching no tilling um, you know establishing a ground cover that can retain the moisture in the soil and also retain the carbon from the atmosphere. I inherited this farm and it was a till, kill, till, kill. And uh, so it takes a few years to actually make this happen where you can start to plant cover crops, put them in play, have them available year round. And what I've learned really quickly is um, I have fewer weeds. I have to use less chemical, um, less fertilizer, 
Um, I'm getting more abundant yields. We had a drought year last year, and we had some of the best yields in the area compared to anybody on our products. And so as I continue to do this, probably over the next two years, we'll get better about it and uh, ultimately do our part in my 700 acres or so to give back to the environment as best we can and hopefully use that as a way to inspire others to uh, adopt a, a, an approach to regenerative farming that's necessary in our, in our society. I love it. I feel like it doesn't get a, enough attention compared to stuff like plant-based meat. You know, I guess it's just not as, as sexy. Right. Um, but, but, uh, you know, I, I see that companies are starting to pay more attention to it, which I think is a very good thing. Yeah. Look, I think, I think companies should adopt, uh, the practices into their supply chain strategies as quickly as they can. Um, the sooner they do it, the better it's hard to force it. Um, but I think you can teach and educate. And the more we learn about what really is happening with our carbon footprint, the better. Good stuff. All right. So you had a phenomenal run at Wingstop. And, and to be completely honest with you, I was surprised when I heard you were taking the salad and go job. So uh, why don't you share what, what attracted you to the brand? Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, what an amazing opportunity to have led Wingstop for 10 years and through its IPO and growth and, and quite frankly, just watching it uh, literally down the street, the team's right down the street from me now and uh, seeing the great work that they're doing to carry on uh, the performance and continue to grow that brand is amazing. And, you know, in 2020, I, I got a phone call um, from a recruiter friend of mine and they said, hey, there's this small little company in, based in Phoenix, Arizona, that is doing something really unique and a bit disruptive in our space. And they're looking for board members and, and they want to talk to you. And I really think you ought to take a look at it, but it's only 20 stores. And I was like, I don't know, you know, startups, you know, those are challenging and what are we doing? And, but I got to know this brand Salad and Go. And um, I did some research. It was during the pandemic, so it was a little hard to see the stores. And, you know, there were only 20 in Phoenix and, you know, we needed to grow. But Everything I listened to and learned about and saw and, and then eating the food and understanding its origin and how it was built and the value orientation of this brand caused me to believe that like, aside from brands like Wingstop and a few others, there's only a few that I can clearly say are in a category by itself. This one was there. And so to be a board member, I thought, yes, this is something that, that excites me, that energizes me, and I'd love to be a part of watching the growth story unfurl. Fast forward about eight, you know, I don't know, uh, 12 or 14 months in the process. And as a board, we said, we clearly need to find a CEO that can help carry this thing for the long haul. And as we were evaluating prospects, um, I, I continued to say no to everybody. <laughs> and there's just nobody I really liked that I felt like was best fit for this brand. And I was also kind of reflective, having a reflective period at Wingstop. It had been 10 years, got a great team. I might be in their way. Um, it may or may not be the what last thing I do and I just retire or whatever, go farm, as we talked about. But my wife and I sat and talked to him and I said, you know, I love this brand. She said, I know you do. And you're not ready. She was clear about that. Like, go do something and have fun. And this is what I love to do is build brands and build them from the early stage, which we did at Wingstop and continue to grow that. And so I threw my hat in the ring and I said, hey what if I do this and would you guys be, be excited to small private equity group that owns this? And um, they said, really? Like, that's, that's interesting. Let us get back to you. And they came back and said, yes. And so, you know, we worked something out and uh, lo and behold, I quit my job one day unexpected to the whole world 
Um, but I did it not to surprise anyone, but I knew I clearly had a great team. And Michael Skipworth's an exceptional CEO, and he's doing a really good job over at Wingstop. And the team was well well suited to carry this on. And quite frankly, it fueled a passion for me um, to go take something on. And what I love about this brand, the mission orientation is very clear. It's to make fresh, nutritious food affordable and convenient for all. And that for all element about making food that's healthy and good for you to everyone at a value price point, you know, has a lot of the same attributes of what Amazon was created around in Costco and others. And so in our space, that's hard to find. Uh, to me, it was an opportunity to really take on something great. And so I did. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure the private equity, not to give you a big head or anything, but I'm sure the private equity group didn't have to think too long about that decision. <laughs> um, very cool. How is uh, Salad and Go able to sell salads at such an attractive price point? Yeah, I mentioned the the model and the nature of this model is very disruptive. It's disruptive in the world of restaurants. It shows up just like anybody else. So it's a double drive through, only 750 square foot box that we make eight salads that are our you know feature menu items and then you can build any salad you want you can take any salad to turn it into a wrap and then we complement even the salad offering with a breakfast offering so that you can show up in the morning and get your breakfast burrito and get your salad and you've got lunch and breakfast covered in the same occasion and we sell our salads for under seven dollars and that's with protein. It's in a 48 ounce bowl, which yields about a pound of product in total, which competes with every other salad that you know out there. And people ask me like, why, how do you do this for roughly half the price, if not more than what's available in other salad concepts? And the answer is we've completely flipped the model and recognized that, that there is a bit of an, I, I don't know if it's broken, but it needs to be revised, the model of food service today. Um, because it's very labor intensive uh, in the for in the back of the house to be able to cut, wash, and prepare produce for a salad. You have all the supply chain elements that exist from the growers, the farmers themselves, through the the intermediaries to the distributors to the store. And this brand was designed from the get go to disrupt all of that. And you've been around the restaurant industry a long time. I have too. Usually, when brands get really scaled and really big, that's when they start to vertically integrate. This one's being done from the very get-go, which some would say, well, that's wildly capital intensive. Why would you do that? And the answer is because we want to start with that low price offering from the get-go and scale this brand so that we can maintain that over the long term, which I mentioned before is more of the Amazon Costco style of approach than it is a traditional restaurant approach. Quite frankly, if I bought all of our ingredients off the street the way they're designed today, I wouldn't be able to sell a salad for that price. And the key unlock here is we're taking all the labor out of the back of the house and we're centralizing it in a large central kitchen. These central kitchens ultimately will be about 100,000 square feet in size. They'll be able to support four to 500 stores worth of product. And those four to 500 stores will be located within about a day or two proximity of that kitchen. So logistics is a big piece of the unlock. But what we do is we bring the product from the grower who we know straight to the kitchen. We, we cut, wash, bag, and prepare that product and send it to our stores. So in many cases, the romaine that you're eating in your salad, that romaine lettuce, um, was in the field five days ago and is on your fork today. Um, it doesn't happen exactly that way every time, but usually plus or minus a few days, which is much different than what you experience in the grocery store or even in restaurants where you know those, those products are 
given uh, techniques to extend their shelf life so that it can travel through that big supply chain. Otherwise, you got to do all this stuff in-house. If you do it in-house, very expensive labor, you're going to charge a much higher price. So we've been able to we've been able to do this. What's great about the brand, too, is we can do it by still paying our people more than $15 an hour. And we can pay our people in our central kitchens as much as $20 an hour. So we're accommodating today's wage environment with a differentiated model of production. Uh, very cool. I have a couple questions about that answer. Uh, how many customers are coming through and ordering breakfast and lunch? I think that's that's unique. That's a new one for me. I haven't heard that before. I think it's the only uh, option in our industry where you can accomplish two day parts in one. And uh 20% of our business is done before lunch, okay? So, and of that, about half of it is split between true breakfast items and then people get, grabbing their salad for lunch as well. Some only get their salad and they opt out of breakfast. Some only get breakfast and opt out of salad. But the combination of all of it already creates a really balanced day part for us that I think we can grow. The key is awareness. We just got to tell people more and more that this uh, option exists. But I'm unaware of any other uh, quick service chain for sure, or any other chain where you can get both in one day part. Yeah, it's smart. I feel like there's some really good upside there just through education, right? Tell of course. About it. Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, you talked a little bit about the distribution centers. Uh, how many do you have right now and how many restaurants do they support? We have two. Um, our original one was built in Phoenix where the brand originated. And that one is scaled in size so that it can handle all of Phoenix today, our stores in Las Vegas. And soon we'll be opening in Southern California. So we anticipate that everything out of Phoenix will handle that entire region. We also have another one in Dallas. And uh, that that facility is, is we're, a newest one is getting ready to open. We had a kind of a 1.0 version. We're opening our, our, our full long-term facility here uh, very shortly. And that one will service all of Texas, which we have stores now in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Waco, Austin. We're up into Oklahoma as far north as Tulsa. We'll probably go as far as Kansas City, and then we'll start to branch out towards the east and get into markets like Atlanta, Nashville, and others as we expand. So that facility has a lot of stretch. Okay, cool. And um, at the store level, what's the sales mix per channel? Uh, between drive-through and online, there's only two. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. No, nobody in the restaurant. Yeah, there's no dining room, right? So it's only 750 square feet. So it's essentially a kitchen. So all of our uh, customers come through the drive through in one way or the other. They either order ahead and go through a dedicated mobile pickup lane, or they go through the drive through It's still, um, you know, about 80% drive through 20% online, which uh, we think we can uh, improve on that just as much. Great. You mentioned some of the places uh, where, where the chain is geographically strong, right? Um, who is the typical salad and go customer? It's interesting. Um, I'll start first with just a generalization of who the typical salad customer is, because uh, at Salad and Go, our mission is for all. But a typical salad eater tends to be more female, uh, a little bit higher income, a little less, less ethnically diverse. So they live in the suburbs in, in, in most communities, and that's where you tend to see a lot of salad concepts popping up or in really densely populated areas, high rises, stuff like that in the cities. What we have been able to demonstrate and prove in our initial markets and even in our new markets is the price point is really the trigger. So it's very expensive to eat salad every single day, and people just don't. So if you're more affluent, you're more likely to be a salad eater than is if you are less affluent. 
And what we have uncovered is that that's not really the bias. The bias is price, not who you are. And so what we found is a very mixed demographic, um, which is great. It's more of the complexion of America than it is, you know, the core salad eater. And so it, it varies. It's used, um, you know, an even balance between male and female, um, a definite balance around income levels and a definite balance around ethnicity, which is great. That's the for all element we want for this brand. And it really is the idea of democratizing healthy food. And that's the problem in America right now is it's just too expensive for people to eat healthy. They're relegated in a lot of cases to a burger and fries and a drive through that's quick because that fits their lifestyle. There's no reason salads can't do that and achieve both. And so we're able to sell a product that is less than that burgers and fries and give you a healthy option. All right. So how many units do you have today and are they all company owned? The entire brand is company owned. Um, and we do that because of the central uh, production nature with those central kitchens. We think that's the best. And quite frankly, we love the unit economics as well. Um, but there are 131 today. Uh, we've been opening at a rate of about one a week throughout 2023 and expect that to continue in 24 and then accelerate in the years beyond. So the unit economics must be strong. Would you like to share uh, any of that data? Well, the one thing I can share with you is um, our, our early ind indications and understanding of, of strong, mature markets say that uh, the store volumes can meet or exceed $2 million. And so on a small footprint, obviously, investment costs are much lower. And so we're comfortable that uh, the brand generates a great cash-on-cash uh, -cash return once we achieve maturity. And so in a startup nature, we're trying to build awareness and grow the brand and, um, like anybody else would. And we're doing it fast. Uh, but uh, but it does uh, yield a great economic model over the long term. Yeah, lower bill costs without, you know, if you're not building a dining room, you don't need digital menu boards inside and all that other good stuff, right? Precisely. Nor, nor is there any cooking equipment. It's all refrigeration and uh, assembly lines essentially in the store. So it's a very minimal build out. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to franchise your business. <laughs> <laughs> I get a few calls. No doubt. No doubt. Um, for, yeah, no surprise. Um, what initiatives are in place to boost same store sales this year? Uh, a lot of them. Uh, the biggest one, any startup company like ours faces is awareness. Um, you know, we build these cute little buildings that sit on the street corner and they're white with orange trim and they're really bright. And so people drive by and they're wondering like, what is that? And uh, then they learn about it. Could it be, it's too good to be true. Can I get a salad for under $7? And so, there's that dance we do, but um, this the biggest one is just generating awareness of this brand and telling our story and articulating the mission and, and what it's all about. The faster we do that, what we know about our customers is as soon as we tell them the story and as soon as they try it, they're as likely to repeat as they would be if you were a coffee concept or something like that. And so the frequency is quite great. And so for us, it's a matter of just getting more people aware, filling the top of the funnel and bringing them in and delivering a great product. Um, along that line, um, this brand is really well set up for, for two of the uh, real um, hot uh, growth items in our, in our industry, including catering and delivery. Uh, we actually just launched our pilot for delivery yesterday as a brand, and so we're excited about that. And uh, partnering with DoorDash, we believe that delivery can be a great opportunity for this brand. The product travels well, Very it works well. well at lunch, right? Like uh, everybody needs it. And so we think that's going to be a good unlock for us. 
The other is catering, um, a little harder to do in a little tiny uh, footprint like ours. And so we're looking at options to create dedicated kitchens where we can actually then run lots and lots of salads out to customers and uh, uh, get those in their hands for large order opportunities, big events, meetings, et cetera. And so those are, those are a couple of big initiatives. And then menu ideation. Um, the beauty of, of a salad or a wrap is that uh, you have a lot of ingredients you can play with. Um, there's a lot of ways to create craveable opportunities. And because we produce not only all the vegetables, we make all the dressings from scratch. We make all of our drinks and the syrups for those from scratch. We have a lot of opportunity to really play with the menu. It's a chef-driven brand. Our chef was a Michelin star trained chef. He worked with the likes of uh, Michael Mina and Charlie Trotters and the French Laundry. And so uh, he brings an amazing repertoire to the table so that he can take really simple foods and turn them into really, really craveable items. So we're going to continue to menu, uh, innovate the menu and bring uh, unique flavors along as well. Yeah, that's very cool. As somebody who tries to eat healthy, I'm always asking the server whether, you know, what dressings are made in house. So that's, that's really great to hear. 100% of ours are made in house, no additives or preservatives as well. So uh, they are uh, they're and they're paired beautifully. One of the nuances of our business and what chef figured out is we can also yield more of the stock of the romaine. If you know a stock of romaine, it has, you know, the, uh, the core uh, element and the, and you know, the center cut of the romaine, but they also have these green leafy tips. Those tend to be kind of bitter. And so he has paired every dressing to pair up with those those more bitter leafy tips. And that plus the heart uh, become uh, a product that we utilize more of. So it's also, you know, a better utilization of the plant, but pairing up the dressings and flavors to make them work. It's uh, he's he's really, really uh, brilliant in his approach to how he puts those together. Yeah, very smart. All right. As a, as a smaller regional brand, I'd imagine. um you know, you're doing more, more social media, um, marketing, more online and digital marketing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the marketing plans? We do, um, you know, because of the regionality, we tend to keep things, you know, near and where our customers are. But, um, I also believe the mission orientation of this brand lends itself to a national story too. Uh, so not only do we want existing markets to be, uh, you know, growing at a, at a rapid pace, you know, to achieve those targeted volumes. But at the same time, we want to soften up the new markets because we're going to grow fast in order for us to optimize our model with our big food uh, central kitchens that we prepare the food in. We want to hit new markets as quickly as we can. And we want to soften them up by making sure that people know that this is coming. Um, so that lends itself to a lot of, uh, uh, you know, work in the community to tell the story and expand our public relations and our voice in that regard, leveraging influencers, things like that. At the same time, um, we do a lot of local activation. Uh, we just launched our first food truck that we're taking around. We had it out on the streets of Vegas on Las Vegas Boulevard last weekend around the Super Bowl, handing out free salads. And the idea is getting, we want to get food in people's mouth to tell them, uh, the story and let them get that first bite experience of how great this product is. So we're going to have it driving all over the place, uh, giving away free salads and getting people uh, excited about the brand. Um, I think influencers are a big opportunity for us, um, notably um, people who are centered on nutrition. Uh, that's a great opportunity for us to tell our story because people are looking for really um, high quality 
thoughtful alternatives that are also value oriented. And it's just hard to find. And I think if we can tap into people who uh, are expert in nutrition that can tell our story, um, all the better as well. So there's a lot going on. Um, and then we do employ some of the basics, uh, telling people about new products, putting up some digital billboards in and around the cities to make sure you know where to go to find a salad and go. Um, we're, we're pulling out all the stops. We hired uh, on board a fantastic uh, leader for marketing this year, a lady named Nicole Portwood. And uh, one of the, her best claims to fame, although she's done some amazing things, is that she started in the very early stages with a little vodka brand out of Austin called Tito's and turned it into uh, the big monster brand that it is today. And so she knows a little bit about taking regional uh, startups and uh, turning them into powerhouse brands. Good stuff. Um, is there any new technology you're implementing in the stores this year? You know, I mentioned our, our newly formed partnership with DoorDash to start delivery. Um, that is built upon a platform that was really consistent with what we had at Wingstop. And uh, so took a page out of that playbook. Um, actually, our head of operations and technology is, is a gentleman that I've worked with in the past, and he's trained a lot of CIOs around the country, including the one we had at Wingstop. And so um, we have partnered together to build a platform that we can uh, hang unique technologies off of and integrate those into the stores so that we can leverage uh, mobile ordering and delivery as key drivers of our business in the future. Um, aside from that, we've already started building a guest data platform for this brand so that we can engage in one-to-one -one marketing. We don't have a loyalty program. We don't think we need it because our price points are so great to begin with. That's the, that's the hook. The key is making sure we're engaging with guests. And so, you know, even with 130 stores, we are already have built a large, large platform of first-party data to be able to engage with our customers and grow. So I would say we're tech forward. Um, and, and, uh, we had to do some catch up, but, uh, we've got the platform in place to grow for the future. Great. Um, all right. So five, five cars in the drive-through line might be prohibitive for somebody like McDonald's, right? Then the customer mm -hmm. may just say like that line's too long. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going to Wendy's or whatever's next down the road. Uh, it might be 25 for Chick-fil-A. Um, when does a salad and go customer say that line's too big for me to wait on? I'm not quite sure yet because I don't know if I've hit the peak. Um, I will tell you it is uh, definitely more of your Chick-fil-A example than it is uh, anything else. We tend to see 20-plus cars stacked up in a drive-thru. Wow. However, um, we do employ some techniques like others do to line bust by having team members out uh, in, in the drive-thru helping accelerate the order. But our product is, is really easy to assemble. It's a quick assembly. There's no cooking. So as soon as you are giving us that order and we're hearing that in our headset, we're already starting to assemble your salad. The time from uh, the speaker when you order your food to the window and out is usually well under four minutes. And so that's best in class in QSR. So our customers are, are, are well adapted to the fact that that line is always moving and it's not a turnoff to see 20 to 25 cars in the drive-thru. That's great. Um... How many employees do you, do you employ during that lunch rush, I guess? And, and if you could just, you know, talk about breakfast maybe versus, versus that lunch rush to kind of give us some idea. Yeah, the beauty of a salad and go and the way we've designed this model is you can run it with as few as three team members on a shift um, at the lower volume times. When you hit a peak lunch or breakfast, usually breakfast four or five, usually at lunch, we can scale up to about eight 
you really can't physically put more bodies in a 750 square foot box uh, than that, and which is great. So the beauty of this brand is, you know, the labor is not our challenge and finding people who want to work there is not our challenge. Cause again, they're not standing in front of a fryer or a flat grill, you know, and all the heat and everything, it's like cold in there and cool and it feels good. And you're assembling salads and it's really good food. And you're inspired by the great work that you're doing every day to make America healthier. And so uh, we tend to have a roster of about 15 to 20 people that make up the shifts that uh, end up being anywhere from three or four to as many as seven or eight people on, on, a, on a shift. It sounds like there's not too much downtime either, which, which is always nice, right? It makes the day, day go by a lot. You are, yeah, yeah. At our low price point, transactions are key and throughput is, is important. And so we've engineered things so that we're moving really fast. And so, yeah, you're not, you're not standing around very often and uh, people do enjoy that. Um, they want to go to work and be busy. They don't want the time to let drag by. And so we've designed the model to be exactly that. So are they all standalone or do you have some that are like end cap units? Uh, we, they are all standalone drive throughs um, We don't have any end caps today. We have one location in a mall that's a unique one. Um, and we think that there is opportunity for us to show up in a, uh, you know, more traditional strip center location. That's something for down the road. But uh, today, all standalone drive throughs I'm sure those landlords would, would like the volume. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something we've got to figure out. We like drive through because it's speedy, convenient. It's what consumers are asking for in today's world. They don't want to get out of the car if they don't have to. They can get it delivered even better. Um, but walking in is a little more of a challenge. So we're, we're going to approach that with care and make sure that in the right market, it might make sense, but not everywhere. Um, January was a tough month for industry sales. A lot of our companies, I'm in the, I'm in the middle of earnings season. A lot of our companies talked about the cold weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and they've also talked about some improvement here in early February. Are you kind of seeing a similar situation? Yeah, you know, I've always uh, believed in the adage that leaders tend to use, which is when things are going great, it's leadership. And when it's not so good, it's the weather. And uh, I will tell you that in this case, it is the weather. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a tough, uh, tough start to the year, um, even the markets we're in. I mean, the West Coast got hit hard. Phoenix, it's been really cold. Texas, it's been cold and snowy. Um, we're not exposed to the East Coast challenges, but that seems to be more normal. What I will say is we held our own beautifully uh, through it, and uh, it's a testament to the brands, uh, the awareness picking up of the brand and growing. Um, but I think we're well insulated from it as well. Um, you know, we, we offer a value occasion. Um, we won't get traded off for something else. Um, and I think if you can implement delivery and things like that, you're going to be able to mask yourself from some of the challenges. But yeah, we've seen some of it, um, but uh, I think most of it's past it. It's beautiful weather right now, and we're taking advantage of that. Good stuff. Uh, you know, thanks again for this, Charlie. Um, where can the audience go to find a nearby salad and go? And what social media platforms is the brand big on? Yeah, we're big in uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, um, the usuals. Uh, you'll see us on LinkedIn if, uh, quite a bit talking about the you know success of the brand and where we're going. Um, to visit a salad and go, uh, again, we're open in all the key markets in Texas. So that's Dallas, where we have 41 stores, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Waco. We're up in Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Las Vegas. Um, we've already got four stores in the ground. We're going to add eight more this year. Uh, and Phoenix, that's our core market, Tucson, uh, with uh, nearly 60 stores in those two markets. So plenty of options. And then 
coming this year, hopefully, maybe late in the year, uh, Southern California will be out there as well. All right, good stuff. I'm going to have to try one in April when I'm down at the Restaurant Leadership Conference. Would love to. Would love to host you there. All right, good stuff, man. Um, this was great. I wish you luck. This is a this is an exciting story, man. I, I wish you nothing but luck. Even though you're a Chiefs fan and I'm a diehard Raider <laughs> fan, I, I wish you a lot of luck. And I'm I'm excited to follow the story going forward. Uh, I can't wait to continue to take you on the journey and uh, share our success as we continue to grow. We're excited about it. That's great. Yeah, I'll have you back on to to give us an update. Uh, big thanks to the audience for uh, tuning in as well. If uh, you like the episode, please leave us a rating. Click the bell if you'd like to subscribe. Check back in a couple weeks for a discussion with Zach Goldstein, the CEO and founder of Thanks. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.